Philippians chapter 4. I'll begin reading in verse 4, but uh, when we begin our study, we'll pick it up in verse 8. Beginning in verse 4, Philippians chapter 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is in any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me, or re, I mean revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am uh, to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound, and any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So again, as Paul is writing this to uh, the church there at Philippi, uh, last week, as we began to deal with a lot of uh, short little phrases uh, that he, where he seeks to encourage about rejoicing in the Lord and, and uh, those types of things, remember that all of that is following uh, the encouragement he had been giving them about not only how special they were to him, but also about where they are in their walk with the Lord and then what they can expect, and the idea being that that there is going to be some hardships, uh, there's going to be some suffering. Uh, he's already explained to them, and he's also emulated to them by his attitude the way they are to face the difficulties that are coming. So again, he, he's, he's painting for them a very real picture of how they are to live as Christians. And so the main idea, in one sense for us as believers, is always to remember this, that regardless of the circumstances we are in, those circumstances do not or should not determine our attitude and the way that we live. So again, we will be affected by them. Our emotions definitely will be affected by our circumstances and you know, whatever they may happen to be. But they do not or they should not determine how I choose to live, how I choose to respond to people. Um, and that's really very important. We have that ability. We have that ability because, number one, we are created in the image of God, and God has given every single human being the same type of capacities and capabilities, but more so for the believer because God has given us his spirit. His spirit is given to us to strengthen us, to encourage us, 
um, to motivate us, uh, to help us in applying the Word of God to our life, to help us to continue to mature. All of us possess the Spirit of God if we're a believer. And so because of that, what he's telling them to do is reasonable. For the individual who doesn't know Christ, this would be unreasonable. You're not going to be able to do these things. This is Again, this is not a seminar on positive thinking and how positive thinking is going to help you to get through life. All right? These are commands to believers who, because we know who Christ is, we know what Christ has done and what that means. Again, it's not only that our sins are forgiven, we know what our future holds. Uh, the idea that, that again, the earth is temporary, <coughs> the trouble we have here is temporary, there's a day coming when all this is going to be corrected, and we're going to be a part of that because of what Christ has done. And so we, we have a future, a definite future to look forward to, and that is, again, to have ver a very real or very real ramifications in the way we live and the way that we react to the world around us. So also at the same time, it's not enough for you and I to know these things intellectually and then just determine we're now going to live this way. You can't do that. That's not how that works. Right? Again, this is not a self-help uh, book where you, where you take you know, the five main principles that Paul has given and try to apply them. The commands he's given us, he's given to individuals where the assumption is, as he's already also explained, that we are growing and maturing in our walk with the Lord, and part of that growing and maturing is an active dependence upon God. That means we are interacting with the Word of God, we are interacting with God himself in prayer, and we are interacting with other believers. And that process, God uses to continue to change our hearts to cause us to grow and to mature. So as we are maturing, this is the result. We, are, we, we recognize that these are things that we want to do. We know this is how we are to live, and we're going to be able to uh, through the power and the strength of the Spirit. So in verse 8, when he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, again, this, this is not a, a sentence, a long sentence. It's not a long sentence on just how to keep your mind occupied and how to think positive. This is uh, Paul telling us what we are to occupy our mind with because we're believers. Right? Because there's, there's plenty in the world that's going to distract us uh, and cause us to take our eyes off of the Lord, to cause us to take our eyes off of truth and begin to look at our circumstances or respond negatively. All right, so again, this is not just this idea that, oh, just think positive thoughts and good things will happen. That doesn't work. Right, you can think positive thoughts. It doesn't mean good things will happen. All right? The bottom line is, is that, that we are focusing on something specific. So notice what he says. Finally, brothers, whatever is true. So he begins with, in one sense, the most difficult thing. He's not saying whatever is positive or whatever makes you happy. All right? The idea is to focus on truth. Truth exists and truth can be known. Again, we live in a society, uh, in a culture where this has been going on really for decades, where uh, the message is, is that either there isn't truth or truth cannot be known or we all have our own truth, which is not truth. And so that causes a great deal of confusion and also will cause us to become actually very unstable in the way we live, the way we think, and then that affects our emotions and all the rest. So he tells us to think about what is true. All right, so uh, in thinking about what is true, that obviously is always going to center on Christ, 
But remember, the Bible presents to us a picture of reality. And so that's what we hold on to. So an example would be this. So again, because of all the trans stuff that's going on in our society, it's a, it's a big deal. And they're always talking about it. They're changing all kinds of laws to accommodate that. There's all kinds of strange things that are happening uh, that make no sense. He tells us that whatever's true, you think about that. So what is it that's true in, in light of what's going on that we can think about? Well, we go back to the beginning where God created Adam and Eve, where he created all the animals. And what do we see uh, laid out for us very clearly that there are what? Two genders, period. Also, I'm not, I'm not going to say this correctly. I will say this better in a few weeks when I get this thing memorized. But this idea that, that we can somehow declare what we are, you know, that people say, oh, you know, I'm gay or I'm bisexual or I'm fluid or whatever, whatever the thing is. All right, the idea with that is it's a denial of what the scripture says. The scripture says, clearly, we're not what? We're not self-created. We don't have the right to decide what we are. We're a created being. God has that right. So the moment an individual begins to decide for himself what his or her identity is, that's actually an act of rebellion against the creator. God has created us and he's designed us for specific purposes. And so when we begin to go in that other direction, which we haven't really for a long time, it's just now uh, kind of blossoming where it, it's to the point of being absolutely absurd. All right, but all that is, is just a continuation of this idea that really we, either there is no God and we decide for ourselves, or maybe somehow we are God or we're God-like. But this idea that God is, is a being separate from us who has revealed himself to us, the world in general hates that. We want to decide who God is. We want him to be what we want him to be. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this. Um, sometimes uh, in the morning, my wife and I will watch uh, Fox News. The show is called Fox and Friends. So there was a, there was, they, were, they had some lady who uh, is an anchor on, what, CBS or NBC? or I can't remember her name. doesn't really matter. She wrote some new book. It's about God. Uh, probably not very good. Uh, because of the way, the way they were talking. But there's this, there's a push. So it's a, uh, it's a form of Christian evangelicalism. And they talk a great deal about the God of the Bible, but it's not the God of the Bible. They take the God of the Bible, but they infuse in this being what they want him to be. And so the main emphasis needs to be, in fact, sometimes the only emphasis is for you and I to realize how much he loves us. There's no discussion about sin, redemption, atonement, none of that. It's just God basically is there to make you feel better about yourself. He's there to encourage you. Now, again, for believers, God does make us feel good. I'm, I'm accepted by God, which is awesome because of what Christ has done for me. So all of that is true. But they're offering this to the world where there's no cross there's, there's no crucifixion. You know, they'll talk a little bit about the resurrection, but they always, they're going to ignore the cross and what that's all about. The idea that we're separated from God first. Uh, what's being promoted is that uh, we are, in, that in every human being, we're all basically good. 
which is untrue. And then from that, the thought is this. If we're all basically good, then whatever desires I have are what? Good. And so if I then desire to be recognized as a woman, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, well, that cannot be bad because I'm basically good. Who are you to say that it is evil? And so that's kind of what's being promoted. Uh, and even though like that book that lady wrote probably doesn't say that, that's where all this stuff comes from and where it's all going. And people are, oh, yeah, that's so, we smile and it's wonderful and everybody has, you know, they have the perfect makeup and they're all wearing the perfect amount and, you know, they have all these nice little frilly lives and everyone's like, oh, that's what we want. And it's, it's horrendous because it takes our eyes off of Christ, uh, off the real Christ of the Bible. So, again, just when he makes a statement for you and I to focus on what is true, that's really a, a, a difficult, tremendous, powerful statement about how we are to think. So that's why we want to stress all the time the importance of you and I thinking biblically. All right? This is God's word. God has created us. God tells us what is real because he's created it. He's, he tells us what our purpose is because he's created us. He, he is the definition of truth. He dwells in truth, and he is the truth. And so it all does come from that. So when we read the Bible, we want to make sure that we don't fall into the trap that some can fall into, which is somehow thinking that the Bible is only about Jesus was born, died, and rose again. Obviously, that's central. So we're not downplaying that. But what happens is people, they see that, and so it's like, well, as long as you believe that, and sometimes what they mean by that is you just can say the words. So if you say that, then it doesn't matter what Genesis says. Okay, so time out. It does matter what Genesis say. That's where the fall of man took place. What did man do there? All right? Man rejected everything about God. And what was the temptation? Eat of the fruit, and you will be like who? God. And I think I've explained this before. It's when he says that you'll know good from evil, it's not that they didn't know what good and evil was. I believe the main thrust of that is you are the one who determines what is good and evil. That's, I think that's the stress. So what happens today? So if an individual want, it says they're gay or says they're a lesbian or says they're whatever, they are saying that is correct, that that is what is moral or that is what is good. Right? That's, that's, man's been trying to do that ever since the garden. I determine what is right. And, so, and the way they get around that, because if we, you bring up God, they'll say, oh, no, 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 that Bob, we're not going to go about what Bob says. Yeah, but what Bob says isn't what Bob is thinking. What Bob is saying is what comes from the Bible. It's what God says. And it's there for all of us to see. And that's why, again, being, being familiar with the Bible and being familiar with how we understand the Bible is really very important. Because that's oftentimes that's where the attacks come. Not just to undermine the scripture and the accuracy of scripture, but then to undermine how we even understand it. Uh, and so, you know, the, there's seven different ideas out there, but some of them is that the Bible is a book that's read, and this, this is an oversimplification, but it's almost like this. Whatever parts of the Bible inspire you is inspired. Oh, that's kind of crazy. All right? And then, however you interpret the Bible, if, if that's what works for you, or if that's what makes you feel good about yourself, or makes you feel spiritual, 
then who's to say that it's wrong? You have your opinion, I have my opinion. And this goes on forever. Um, so this statement that Paul makes may, may look, in a sense, almost benign and just, you know, this, it's, well, it's nice and sweet, and we just kind of move on. We have to stop him and say, well, wait a minute, what did he just say? All right, because this is because we live in a culture where they're denying the reality of truth. And he says here, the very first thing we need to do is to make sure that we are, uh, uh, that whatever, that we are to think about, whatever is true. And we'll get to what he means by think about in a minute. All right, so whatever is true, then he says whatever is honorable, and again, that would be determined by what the scripture says, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about those things. So the idea of thinking about those things is a, a, the biblical idea of meditating and mulling it over in your mind. All right, so uh, that's where you purposely recall what the Bible says and you think about it. So one of the things that, that we should do as, as Christians, uh, a habit that we should develop, uh, that will help us with our, for example, just your Bible reading would be this. So let's say you do your Bible reading in the morning. And let's say that you only read a chapter a day. All right, that's not a lot, but let's say you read a chapter a day. So uh, what you want to do is ask yourself this question. What did I read this morning? You say, well, I, I read John chapter 6. When I read John chapter 6, what did I read? Try to make yourself remember, some of that without looking, what did you read? Now, sometimes what will happen is, I have no idea. Right? I'm pretty sure there's something about Jesus in there because that's from the book of John. <laughs> All, right? All right? But the thing is this. The more that you do that, the better you get at it. Okay? So you're exercising your mind. It's a muscle. So you begin to do that better and better. But also by forcing yourself to try to remember that you then begin to cement what you were reading in your mind. So that way you'll be able to recall it more easily at another time. If you do that, if you do that all the time, pretty soon you'll be amazed at how much of the Bible you actually remember. Now, I'm not saying you're going to have all these verses memorized. You may not. But you're going to remember, oh yeah, John 6, da 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 John 14, da 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 you know, two or three main points. But you'll, you'll begin to remember where certain things are in the Bible. You know, that, that kind of thing. But, you'll, but it will help you as you grow spiritually because then you'll be able to think about. So let's, so let's say on the particular day, you're having lunch, you're having lunch by yourself. A good exercise is, okay, what did I read this morning? And then ask yourself, what, what did it mean? What was, what, was the, what was God saying? What was the point? Now, in the beginning, like I said, if you may not remember, get your phone out or your Bible, whichever one you have, and you can look up the passage and maybe reread it real quick, but try to get yourself to do that. So you're exercising your mind in spiritual things. It's a great thing to do. Uh, another thing to do, is when you go home from church on Sunday, ask someone in your family, don't ask them if they like the sermon. Ask them what was it about. Okay? Now, again, it's not because I want you to, to rehearse my sermons because I think they're great. But the idea is, is that, once again, we're forcing ourselves, forcing our mind, all right, to become more disciplined and to to think about those things because that will actually help us to listen better and learn better. And it's it maybe even more important now than before because of all the distractions we have, because of, because of the phone, the computer, the TV, all the screen time. I don't want to get into all the scientific analysis, but all that screen time actually has 
can have a negative effect on your brain, and it makes it more difficult to actually focus. All right, so we need to get that back. We, we are human beings created by God with certain gifts and abilities, and we're losing them because of our technology. Now, I'm not saying throw your phone away. You may want to use your phone less, but I'm not saying throw it away. So I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we, we, need, to, we need to recognize that there are some tools that we have that may be extremely helpful. You know, having a computer and all that is very helpful. And I, my, my phone is my computer. I mean, I, I use this for a lot of different things. But I'm, I'm glad I have this. At the same time, that doesn't mean that there's nothing negative with this. All right? And negative is not just what I can access on the phone. I mean, there's obviously a lot of nasty things you can get on the phone. And obviously, that, you shouldn't be doing that either. But there's also other things that can affect us negatively. And I've, o- I've always had a concern for a long time. Some of the books I've read, I've, I've read on purpose because of this. And that's the idea of what is it that's being developed in our culture that exists now that is amoral. It's not, it's not good or evil in and of itself, but is also detrimental to us spiritually. And screen time is definitely one of those. All right? And so, um, so, when you, so if you go to a, a Bible conference, you go to whatever church you go to, whoever's preaching, you want to ask uh, those around you to begin to discuss it. All right? Whether, whether you agree or disagree, to discuss it. And then by what happens is not by just forcing us to remember, by talking about it. Same thing you do with when you read a good book. If you read a good book, and then you discuss it with somebody, you're immediately forced to remember what you've read. And maybe to explain some of the points that were uh, made in the book. And when you do that once, you actually know that part even better. If you do that several times, more of that book is going to stick in your head. And so it's going to have the kind of impact maybe it should have on you. So those are just practical things that we can do that we sometimes... um, can move away from because we're not really heeding what the Bible says. When he tells us to think on these things, that's exactly what he means. He doesn't mean take your phone out and look up pithy sayings about truth. No, think about what is true. He doesn't say, you know, think about things that are just honorable, and so you go on your phone and say, ooh, what is honorable? No, 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 no. Think about in your mind things you've read, what you come across that is honorable, and you, and you begin to work your mind that way. Um, and that way we're using those things that God has given us. And you and I can do that regardless of your IQ. It doesn't, you don't have to have a high IQ to do that. All right? Whether if your IQ is 80, what's normal, 90? Whatever normal is. All right, so if your IQ is 80 or if it's 110 or even 140, the bottom line is, is that if we, we begin to do those things, that becomes really very helpful for us spiritually. And we live in a world we live in a world where the attack is constant. That's why it tells us in Romans to not be conformed to this world. Uh, remember that when you, if you watch TV, um, there's we, any, anyone who watches any amount of TV, there are certain commercials you're sick and tired of. You know why? Because they're on all the time. But guess what else? You know what they're all about. You can, you can, you can like there's there's a commercial. I guess it's it's a it's an insurance commercial. The guy wears a yellow shirt and some kind of weird bird emu. Okay, it's just like, it's, those commercials are stupid. All right? But I'm very much aware of them because they're on all the time. What is that? That's repetition. Right? They're showing it to you constantly, 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 constantly. And after a while, you're not even trying and you're thinking about it. All right? There may be certain, there may be certain jingles you hear and all of a sudden you immediately think of some product. Well, what does that happen? That's so what the brain works. So, God knowing that, he designed us we, we begin to do this. 
uh, and focus on these things. And that would be very beneficial for us. Um, and more so because truth, the gospel, Christianity is constantly under attack in our society. It's all the time. Remember this. Back to the whole trans thing. The trans thing and all this stuff connected with it is not just some fad our society is going through. It's not just some nuisance that's taking place. That is the overt rebellion of man against God. That's not a conspiracy theory. We're not, we're not overthinking it. We're not being weird about it. That, that is exactly what that is. And all the things that are going on in connection with that are moving us away from the reality that God has created for us to live in. Um, I think uh, it just happened a couple of days ago. There is a, it's a high school, it's, it's a girls basketball, and there is a team that has a trans player. It's a, it's a guy. He's six foot two. He's thin. Um, and there was one game where the, the team at halftime didn't come out. They were losing 10 nothing, but he had hurt three of the girls on the other team. One of, one, of, one of them had a concussion because he's, I mean, and he wasn't throwing punches. He's just so much bigger and stronger than they are. Uh, that's just all there is to it. And so the, this other coach said that they only said, we know what, we're not, we're, we're letting the schools know is a polite thing. We're going to forfeit. When, when you guys are scheduled to play, we're just going to forfeit. We're not going to play. And we're not going to play because you have this guy in your team. And so then the, the, uh, the association of those schools then said, they're banned. They can't play anybody. And I think they banned them from all sports in, in the thing, you know, because of what they're doing and because of how wrong it is. I'm like, you know, this is just, I, I wish this would happen just so, so people could make the point. Uh, but imagine when LeBron James decides to retire from the NBA. He'll be in his 40s. And he says, you know, I've been confused about my gender all my life. And I really am a woman trapped in a man's body. And he wants to play in the WNBA. Would that be fair? Well, we're not allowed to ask that question. If that's who he says he is, we need to accept that. And it would be a bloodbath because the guy, and he's not the only one. He's just the one that's most recognizable. But he is a, a freak of nature. Right? He's 6'8". He's thick. You know, he's, he's not skinny. And he can run and he can jump. I mean, he can, it's insane what he can do. And he's not the only one. There's a bunch of guys like that. It, it, we, that's why we have a, WNA, a WNBA for a reason. No one watches. But anyway, it, that, that's why they have that. All right? So that's, that's the thing. So... That's reality, and we're moving away from that. So it's not just the drift of culture. Everything really is related because to, to something spiritual, a spiritual truth, because spiritual truth is more than just the fact that Jesus came because he loved us. Spiritual truth is also, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created, and going on from there. That, that's, that's reality. That is spiritual, but it's also very physical, very real. And so all these are, are it's the attempt of man. It's always been that way to uh, rebel against God. Romans 1, man does not even want to think about God and who he is and all those things. And so God, uh, one, of the, one of the ways that God judges, and you see it three times in Romans 1, there's a phrase, at least in the New King James, it's this way, so God gave them over. 
And the idea of that phrase is God basically says, okay, so you want to now claim that a man who says he's a woman is a woman. So God just basically takes a step back. Go ahead. I'll let you do that. Let's see what happens. And what's supposed to take place when we do that kind of stuff is realize that the world's going bonkers. This doesn't make any sense. And realize that what God said is true. But man is stubborn to sin. Sin blinds us. And what does man in general do? He continues down that path, moving farther and farther away from God. And there's three times in Romans 1 where it says God gave them over. And, uh, and I believe those are all acts of judgment with mercy, because sin does deserve death. So it's with mercy, but it only happens three times. Then the end. You know, there's an end to God's patience. If you don't believe me, read Revelation. Right? There's an end. <laughs> to all of this. So, again, this is very, really, really very profound, what, what Paul is giving us here as to how we are to think, how we are to occupy our time, the way we are to occupy our time. So, again, this isn't saying you can't watch movies and TV. Of course you can. Right? But you don't neglect this and what he's talking about. Or you will not be able to withstand uh, what's going on around you. Or you'll be, you'll be sucked into it. And, and that, a lot of churches are having that problem where people are they're, they're moving in that direction. Sometimes entire denominations are moving in that direction. It's already happened um, in several cases, and it's, going, it's just absolutely bonkers. Um, but uh, this is, uh, that's the importance of what Paul is giving us here. So then he says this in verse 9, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So, again, remember, Paul was the one who was instrumental in helping to start this church. The first individuals who made up the church, Paul was instrumental in leading them to the Lord, baptized uh, some of them. Uh, he was very close to this church. As, you, as we read later on, they actually helped to support him financially as he was doing the work that God had called him to do as he traveled around. So there, he had a very close relationship with them. So because he spent a lot of time with them, he says, listen, there's things you've learned from me. I remember before he said, um, he didn't tell them to follow him, they, he told them to what, imitate him. So he goes kind of back to that idea. He says, so the things you've learned from me, which he always teaches the scripture, the things that you received, the truth again, the application of the scripture, and have seen in me the way that he lives his life, the way that he obeys what the Bible says, he says, you practice those things. Then he says, if you practice those things, the God of peace will be with you. So there's this very practical truth that's here that is not just about having happy thoughts. It's not just about knowing the truth of the Word of God intellectually, but it's living it out. As we live it out, he then says, the God of peace, this is the God that we worship, he will be with you. I think the idea there is, it's not that God is, is away from you, waiting uh, for you to do something so he can get close to you. I think it really has more of, of this kind of idea. Because we know that God is everywhere. God is with us. But I will have a greater consciousness of the nearness of God. That makes a difference in us psychologically. makes a difference in us emotionally. It's, it's, uh, in one sense, we are more apt to recognize and receive and understand the comfort of God because we are aware of the presence of God. Why am I aware of the presence of God? Because my eyes are open because I'm, I'm seeking to live what the Word of God says. So again, it's always that package deal. If it's, just so, if it's just book stuff we learn, then you're not, you're not really going to be close to God. Uh, you're not going to have a sense of being close to God 
because you're not really growing or changing spiritually. So it's very much this idea of being involved, all right? Uh, again, same thing with the marriage. When two people get married, they don't both go and live in two separate apartments, right? It's difficult to form a new life that way, right? You, you move in together, and by being together, it's easier for you to form a new life together because you, you're doing what? Everything together. You eat together. You cook together. You clean together. Uh, you know, you're, you're in helping each other to get through life, whether, you know, getting work or if there's financial struggles, you struggle together. If there's financial blessing, you're blessed together. The idea is you're doing all that together, so it, re it requires involvement in each other's lives, and that's how you grow closer together. If two people get married and live in separate apartments, and then they came to see me and say, you know, we've been, we've, we've been married for a year. We just don't seem to be any closer. <laughs> well, you're living downtown Savannah, and you live in Richmond Hill. I don't see how you could get closer together. Well, we're married, and we both know we're married. How, how ridiculous would that be? Everyone knows, everyone knows without, them even, without me even saying anything that that just doesn't work. You, you have to be together. And so here's this idea here again that... Um, it's, so it's not just saying the right things. It's not just maybe feeling spiritual. He's talking about God being close to us. Uh, and I would say that it's, it's being cognizant of, of the fact that God is there. Um, and, and again, it's not a superstitious thing. It's not a positive thinking thing. It's, again, it's reality. It's being aware. So when you're at a stoplight and the light turns green, you get ready to go, and all of a sudden some car goes whizzing by, all right, your very first thought is, wow, the Lord's really good because I... I could have been hit right there, right? The other people go, whoo, am I lucky? Okay, no, 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 there's no such thing as luck. That doesn't exist, all right? That was God, and you're welcome, you know, kind of a thing. So, again, it's, 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 so it helps us to think correctly and recognize what's going on out there. So then uh, Paul goes on to some personal things in verse 10. And he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received, revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So basically, remember we, in the beginning of the letter, remember as he, as he writes them, he tells them that basically that, you know, he gives a report, he's in prison, and, and they were concerned about Epaphroditus because they sent him and he was sick, and he had sent others to go tell them how everything was going. And so, you know, he, the fact they were concerned for him really warmed Paul's heart. He was really happy about that. And, of course, their, their concern was not just, you know, are you okay? They, they want to help. They've helped before. They want to be involved with Paul and what's going on. So, again, he says, not that I am speaking of being in need. So he says, he says look, I'm not, he's not trying to manipulate them. He says, oh, I'm so glad that you are now interested once again because I need your money. Is that what he's saying? And then he goes on and says this, because I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So he's right back now to the very... Uh, practical aspects of what it means to be a Christian. So again, to be a Christian does not mean that everything you do, you will be successful. It doesn't mean that you're not going to live paycheck to paycheck. Some will live paycheck to paycheck, some won't. Some will, some will have decent paying jobs, some will have less decent paying jobs, and some are going to have great difficulty getting by. What does he say? He's learned to be content in whatever. He doesn't say, I'm claiming the promises of God. It's not what he says. He doesn't say that speak, speak wealth into existence. And God will, it's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, I've, he's learned to respond to whatever situation basically God has placed him in. Right? He, he, that's what he recognized that God is sovereign. So he, 
He says, I've, I've, he's learned to be brought low. Remember, he probably came from a wealthy family. His family was so wealthy that they purchased their citizenship in Rome, which included Paul. Uh, he was a, a Pharisee. He was kind of a top-ranking Pharisee. So this guy had access to power, authority, and he never really wanted for anything. Even if, even, I mean, we don't know how rich he was. I think he probably had a, a good amount of money, at least in the beginning. I don't think he does now. He has nothing. But um, uh, he was also the kind of guy that uh, if he went out with other Pharisees, they would be buying him lunch because they want to be on him because Paul's the guy. He's the guy. If somebody's going to put a good word in for you, if, if Paul gives you a good word, whatever you're looking for, you're going to get. So that's where he was. All, right, so he, all that's gone. He has no more family money. He's no longer a Pharisee. There's people who want him dead. Several people, several groups who want him dead. He's in and out of prison a great deal. Um, he's been left for dead several times. And so he has, there's no bank account where he can go and get some resources to whatever. He is dependent upon the Lord providing, and often, or most of them, the way the Lord provides is through other believers. And so he's learned to be content. He's not complaining about his situation. Remember, he's in prison now when he writes this uh, to these individuals, and he's not complaining. All right, so I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So the idea is, is that we adapt to what's going on. You don't complain. We continue to fulfill our responsibilities and work hard, and we truly trust the Lord. That's what we do. And when he says here, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, let's begin with how we don't use the verse. Right, you can buy posters where a guy is climbing Mount Everest, and it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I believe Christ can strengthen me. If I try to climb Mount Everest, I'm going to die. Okay? I'm, not, I'm not equipped for that. I'm too old for that. I don't even want to do that. All right? But the bottom line is, that is, that is not what that means. Okay? That does not mean you can just rip it out of the Bible, and whatever you want to do, you will be successful, because the Bible says that Christ will give you the strength. That's not what that's talking about. The immediate context is what he just talked about. Being content, whether you have an abundance of resources or you lack. And he even mentions being hungry. Right? Not just lacking. You, you're missing meals. That's what he says. He says, I can. Well, what did he just say? I've learned to be content. I can do all things. So that means he then can respond to these situations really as, as a Christian. He can live as a Christian in these things. And, and that's what he's encouraging them to do. He, he knows persecution is coming. All right? Some of them are going to be facing rather some harsh situations. And the bottom line is, is that Christ will give us the strength that we need to, to live the way that he wants us to live. Because that's what God's concerned about. We represent God. I, I, I and you, we represent a holy and righteous, benevolent God. Um, and, and we need to represent him well. We want others to speak well of God because of, of how we live. I don't want people to think bad about God because of what I do or because of what I say or even because of the way that I say it. I want them to think good of God um, when it comes to that. So that's what he's talking about here is that kind of thing. And so that's a, that's a whole, I think it's just a whole new way of looking at it because people are so used to just thinking about this in all the wrong ways uh, when it comes to, it becomes a, it becomes a motivational phrase. 
And again, I'm not saying it's wrong for you to, to, to have it memorized. It's not wrong for you to even quote this to yourself. All right? you're, you're, if you're at work and your boss doesn't like you and he's blaming for something you didn't do and you want to lash out and let him have it and then, you know, say you quit and walk out the door, all right, you can act like a believer because the Bible says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Now, there's an assumption, I believe, there based on the entire context, which is this. You don't, okay, there was a, there's been two movements. They're both the same. And, and that you know, they, it has, you can get the T-shirt, you can get the bracelet. It, it's not helpful. But it's the WWJD, what would Jesus do? Okay. If you don't know who Jesus is, that doesn't help you. Right, you have to know who Jesus is. And when I say know who Jesus is, that's not just you know intellectually who he is. You know him. So the idea is, is that I, I need to know what is his will. How does he want me to respond to, to these various situations? So as I'm growing as a believer, as I'm spending time in the word, time in prayer, time with believers, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Spirit of God is going to give me the strength I need. Now, so let's say that, uh, let's say I'm a prophet. I'm not. Let's say I'm a prophet. And so I tell, I, I, I'm talking to one of you, and I tell you that in two months, uh, when it comes to uh, your job, you're going to go through the ringer. And it's going to be really, really bad for you. But not to worry, because Christ will give you the strength that you need. Now, the strength you need, you will not get next week. Okay? You're not going to get it next week. And you're not going to get it in two months either. You're going to get it at the moment you need it. When you begin to go through the ringer, Christ will provide. He'll never let you down. He's not going to give it to you in advance. You don't need it in advance. You need it then. And God is sovereign in our life. God is aware of what we are going through every moment of the day. And so he will supply you the strength you need. People have said oftentimes, we, we don't always express ourselves the best way, but sometimes a Christian will say this, you know, last week was really rough, and I don't know how I got to that week. And they think about it, and they go, well, I, I mean, I do. I, the Lord was just good. They, they can't really remember how God did it, but there's no one else to give the credit to because they knew they could have done it, not on their own. That, that's, that's how the Lord works in our lives. It's, it's an amazing thing that the Lord does. But if, but if we abandon the Lord or we reject the Lord now in our daily living, then, the, then when the day comes, we need the strength. Of, it's not going to be there. All right? Now, God may still be gracious and help you through that situation because God is good, but God also is going to make sure that you learn your lesson, and so he may allow you to go through it without his help so that you recognize how much you need him and that you don't have what it takes to get through. So, we need, so that's what Paul is very concerned with, once again, these individuals knowing Christ, knowing God, spending time with God, uh, and, and this, this intimate relationship where there is this very real strength uh, and help that God gives them through the times of difficulties that may come. And again, he uses himself because, again, they're very familiar with Paul. They know his personality, and they also know uh, what it is that he's even going through at that moment in time. So he says in verse 14, he says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So again, that's just they were there for him financially. They, they gave him what he needed uh, in financial support to, to whether it was to get food or to get food for him and his partners or whatever they needed. 
you know, they supplied it for them. They would actually, the way you would do it those days, um, you know, you, you couldn't just take your phone and transfer funds. They have to send somebody. Somebody has to go to you with the money and bring it to you and then place it in your hand so that uh, you can have that and you can have your needs met. He says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So we see that they've actually done this several times. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So again, he's very serious about this. He's not, he's not trying to manipulate them. All right, he says, look, he's, I'm not, he's not basically begging for more money. He says, he's mentioning all this to them, but he really wants them to receive the, the fruit, the, the blessing that comes uh, because they are very much a part of what he does. The Lord, the Lord is going to give them credit for what he does. They're, the Lord's not going to give them credit and not give Paul credit. He's going to give Paul credit as well. But God knows that because God is using these believers, what they have sent, all right, they, have, they are actually investing. So at our church, as people give money to our church, we, there's a percentage that we take off the top. It goes into a mission fund, and we support missionaries in several different countries and, and the, in America. And we invest in those ministries. The bottom line is the people that are working in these various ministries, uh, the way that they are able to ha have a home and heating and clothes and food and transportation and materials is because believers send funds. All right? So we are a part of that. So God is blessing them through us. God has blessed us. We are now sharing the blessings that God has given us, and we send support to them so that they don't have to get another job. In fact, if they had the other job, they, wouldn't be, they would not even be able to do half of what they're doing. And in some cases, they wouldn't even be allowed to be there. In whatever country they may have to leave. All right, so we're supporting them. And sometimes we end up supporting people in different ways. Like there was a time in Croatia. Um, it's so expensive to live there. Uh, and th many people are so poor that there was a young man that to go to seminary, he had to be paid to go to seminary. Not because he was smart. Nobody can afford to go to seminary. Very few Christians. So we ended up supporting him in school. He, did, he couldn't work. So we supplied for his material, for his food, etc., while he was there, all four years while he went through seminary, um, so that he could get his degree. So, that, that, so there's many different ways that you do that, but you are investing in people. That you are investing in the work of God when you do that. So then, when we receive our rewards in heaven, not only will you and I be rewarded for the good that we've physically done, and maybe the individuals that we've shared Christ with, and all those things, but where, how we've used our money individually and collectively, we will be rewarded for that. God will say, yeah, there's, there's, there was, you, know, you were supporting so-and-so in this country, and because of you, and not only you, but you and other believers, the, this group over here, all these individuals became believers. And then from this group of believers, all these other people became believers. And you were a part of that in the beginning. That's, that's, that's what Paul's talking about. And, and he wants them to receive that. He wants them to have that joy um, that comes from, from investing in that. So he says again, uh, not that I seek the gift, verse 17, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. So again, so again, he's already told him, look, I'm not looking for the gift. And then he says, look, by the way, I've received full payment and I've got everything I need. I got, he's not looking for more money. He's not scamming them because he now wants to buy a jet. All right, he's, he's content, 
He says, look, the gift you sent with Epaphroditus, I've got it. It was a fragrant offering. It was, he, when he says a, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God, there's not a lot of evidence that there was a lot of real rich people in the, in the church at Philippi. There may have been a few. But most of the time, when people give money, we could all use that money in other places. So there, there may be a sacrifice. And in some cases, people will actually sacrifice a little more. Paul's, he knows that. And he knows that God's going to, so he's not, he's not just assuming that, oh yeah, they're going to keep sending me that money. No, 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 it's not that. He knows where that money's coming from. All right? And there are those individuals who they, on one hand, it's either I have 20 bucks and I can put $20 in my savings account, or I can put $20 over here toward this mission work. And they decide to do that. Now the world may say that's foolish. I don't think so. I don't think that's dumb. I think that's smart. Okay? So the bottom line is, is that that's what's going on here with these individuals and what's happening. And so Paul recognizes that. And so that's why it's a, when he says it's a fragrant offering, you know, basically that's how God is viewing it. And again, it's, it's, it's a sacrifice and it's pleasing to God. He says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So I would say this, for the believer, every single need that you have will always be supplied by God. There's two exceptions. Number one, times of persecution. Right? So you will, so basically, let's just say one of our needs is food. So I didn't say that you'll get ice cream and Oreos all the time, but your whatever you need to live on, God will make sure you always have food. But the exception is times of persecution. There are times that there's individuals who are persecuted, they're thrown in prison or jail because they're Christians, and some will starve to death. Many, many have starved to death, and there's many right now starving to death today. A lot of them are in North Korea, but they're starving to death. They're dying a slow, agonizing death because they're Christians. Right, that they have this great reward in heaven, that's for sure. Uh, but that's the exception. The other exception would be this. God has provided for your need, and you've squandered it. Now, God might still bail you out, but there's no guarantee. Sometimes, you know, when you squander your money, you need to hurt a little bit on purpose. God allows that so that you learn not to waste what he's given you. All right? So, but, but, so when he says here, my God will supply every day. Again, he's not doing that to butter them up to get them to give more money. He's already told them he doesn't need anymore. He's, he's been fully paid. But he, what, he believes this. He knows that God's going to provide. So God will supply every need of yours according to, your, to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, the glory be forever and ever. Amen. So his focus is totally on God. And what we do for God and the glory of God and the supply of God and the grace of God and God's intimate involvement in our life um, in every way so that they can have a life that is truly joyful. And that's why the, one of the main themes of Philippians is, is the book of joy. Right? Not happiness. All right? There's happiness there, but joy is much more than that. It's, a, it's a, more of a deep-seated kind of peace and contentment and happiness that we have that comes from the Lord. And so then he ends with some greetings to the people there in verse 24. I mean, uh, yeah, verse 21. I should have put my glasses back on. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Caesar's household, that's the... Uh, most likely the soldiers that Paul has been leading to the Lord um, and uh, whatnot. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. 
So uh, just as a reminder, he says, all the saints greet you. Remember that all the saints are believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. So if you are a believer this evening, if you are a Christian, then you are a saint. You may not act like a saint. And I don't know what saints are supposed to look like. I guess they look like us. Um, But if you look at old paintings, you don't look like a saint. But you are a saint because you're a saint based on your position. All right? You and I are dressed in the righteousness of Christ. We possess his righteousness. So we have been set aside by God. We are reserved by God for him and for his service. Therefore, you are a saint. And of course, as you read the Bible, God says, now that you're a saint, you need to live like one. (laughs) And this is what this is all about. All right, but you don't have to wait for a church to basically say that someone's a saint or meet their qualifications, which you have to have a verifiable miracle and all that. You don't need to know all that stuff. All right, you're a saint, uh, which is really pretty cool. Now, I would not put that on a business card. All right, so, you know, I'm not St. Bob or St. I guess St. Bob sounds funny. It'd be St. Robert. Uh, but, you know, I don't put that on my card. Uh, John is not St. John. Um, but we are saints. And uh, uh, that's because of the grace of God and the kindness of God. So what we're going to do starting next week is we're going to begin to go through uh, a very, very practical study on daily application of the Word of God in every single imaginable facet of life. We're going to look at what the Bible says. It's, I don't know how to, I don't want to give any more than that, but um, uh, so it's going to be, I, it, you, we could call it biblical psychology. You want to get deep into what the human being is, it's the Bible. You want to get deep into what motivates you to do what you do, it's the Bible. You want to talk about why you have certain kinds of dreams, we'll get it from the Bible. You want to know why you have certain kinds of quirks and different things that go on in your life, we're going to get it, we're going to find out what it is from the Bible. Uh, God's going to inform us. It's really cool. You want to be able to, you want to, be able to uh, resolve whatever issues you have in your life? It's going to be the Bible. And God's going to be able to explain them to us so we understand them. And there's, and there's always hope. There's never hopelessness. Bible, biblical psychology is never you're diagnosed something and you're that for the rest of your life. All right? So uh, hopefully that would be beneficial to you. Um, and you'll find it very profitable um, and also enjoyable. Uh, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for your love for us and again for the message of the book of Philippians. We pray, Lord, that as, as we read, reread it now, now or in the future, that, Father, many of the things that we've talked about will, will, will be reminded of and there'll be a, a greater depth of understanding, uh, a greater grasp of the truth of what Paul is revealing to us. We pray, Father, you help us to live in the way that Paul has prescribed here, in the way that he lived. That, Father, we may live a life that is where we, where we experience a great deal of joy and happiness and contentment. And that, Father, all of us, as we follow what Paul says, that we will have that sense that God is with us. And as a result, we will always be comforted and never have to live in fear. Father, we thank you now for our time together. and We ask for your blessing as we are dismissed. We thank you and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.